All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And uh, last time we were looking at uh, the aspect of, of lust. That was really the, the crux of the matter last week or two weeks ago, whenever that was. And uh, we're going to move on from that. Uh, there's four major issues that you see here in this passage that Israel, uh, why they failed. And, uh, and so we're going to cover each one of those. I don't know how long it's going to take. We'll just kind of uh, go through it the best we can. But let's go to... Um, let's go to verse number 6. And it says, Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, neither be idolaters as were some of them as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. I guess that's five, not four. Now all these things happened unto them for in samples and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would just give me what I need to bring this message forth tonight. And Lord, we just ask that uh, you would just give an extra, uh, just an extra boost in our spirit today, in our bodies, Lord. Uh, many have worked and many are tired. I pray that uh, you'd be able to keep us alert and Lord, help us to get something from the Word of God tonight uh, that will help us in our lives. I praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, and so we looked at lust. I'm going to move on from that. And, uh, of course, that had to do with covetousness and immorality. And um, that was important because we did a comparison of how one, if one lives by lust, they don't really have confidence in the Lord. And it affects your prayer life. And so you don't really have a prayer life when you're lusting after things. Because uh, you're not asking the right way, amen? And God doesn't give it to you. So you end up saying things like, oh, God doesn't answer prayer. Or he, he doesn't listen to me. Or he doesn't answer my prayers. And that's where you have to analyze yourself and say, well, what are you asking for? <laughs> you know, is it because you're consuming it on your own lust? It's not always talking about the, uh, the sins that are so prominent that you would say, oh, that's what lust is. Uh, lust is any longing that isn't scriptural, that isn't from the Lord, that isn't what God wants you to have. Uh, you know, lust, I think a while back I went through some of, some of those, but in the scripture you'll find over 80 different kinds of lusts in the Bible, 80 kinds. And so there's all kinds of different uh, ways that a person can long after something. You don't even realize that's what it is sometimes. And uh, so it's important for us to understand that. We're going to move on to number two. We're going to look at idolatry today. Uh, verse number 7 says, Neither be idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink, and rose up to play. And of course, the Apostle Paul here is directly quoting Exodus chapter 32, verse 6. I'm going to read this passage here, starting verse number 1 of chapter 32. It says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us, for as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. 
And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a goat molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And notice that's capital L-O-R-D, Jehovah. I don't think Jehovah's too pleased with the way they're going about things here. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And so in that passage, you're seeing an interesting combination. You're seeing things that God talked about, burnt offerings, peace offerings. But then you see uh, some characteristics at play here that don't seem in line with what God was looking for. They sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, Get thee down, for thy people which have brought us us out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. So they were stiff-necked. That was the problem. They They weren't yielding to the Lord. So God was revealing and proving himself as the real God that was worthy of worship. But the people reverted to self gratification once again, assigning the glory of God to a calf. Now you go to Romans chapter 1. And you begin to see, once again, that's the people, our nature. For some reason, we want to bring God down to our level. We want to somehow uh, associate God with something on this cursed earth. And, and that's why many people today, you look at the, uh, the religion in India, uh, Hinduism, they worship cows, they worship rats, they worship all kinds of different things like that. Uh, one thing I realize they don't really care about is pigs. And I, I don't know exactly why, but I remember we were taking a drive down some village road there, and the driver, there was three, there was a, a mother pig and three little piglets be, behind her, and the driver just plowed right over that, that mother pig, and, and he didn't even blink about it. And I thought, my goodness, you know. And then I heard that uh, in the newspaper, a driver had actually hit a cow and killed it on the side of the road, and they called the priest and gave it last rites. You know, gave it and prayed over it and so forth. And if you hit a a cow, a hit and run, you'll go to jail. And so it's a very serious thing. But pigs, I guess, not a big deal because he he didn't even flinch. And so I just kind of looked at him and he just kept driving like nothing happened. And so I guess they've got a, uh, a certain way that they look at different animals. Amen. But anyways, in Romans 1, 23, it says, And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and to four-footed beasts, and creeping things, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So what is an idolater? An idolater is really a servant or a worshiper of idols. Really just someone who worships idol and someone that serves that idol. Now the New Testament believers in the, in the Bible were, were also uh, warned not to be tempted in that same way. 
Now, I don't think for a second that these people that were in the churches that the Apostle John planted or the Apostle Paul were actually setting up idols like they did in the wilderness, but yet the warning was still there. You see that in 1 John 5.21, the Apostle John tells the people, he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. <laughs> you know, And we know idols aren't always made out of stone and, uh, and, and wood and so forth. Idols can be just anything that you focus your attention on that, that you serve more than God. That's exactly what it means, that you serve them more than God. That means you got your line drawn. It might be my mic or something. <laughs> With any new situation, you always have bugs, amen? And so anyways, they were, they were, they were told, they were warned. Thing that scriptures are very clear about Matthew 6 20 all right so it says in verse 24 no man can serve two masters for either he will hate and mammon so that's a pretty telling verse right there. What it's saying is you can't serve money and possessions and God at the same time. And this is something that <laughs> that popping body. I think it's coming from that. And Paul, you want to turn off that monitor right there? I think it's just popping right from that just so we get rid of the distraction. On the back, there's a switch. Maybe that'll fix it. I'm not sure. Anyways, um, and so here we see you must not place an undue emphasis on money or possessions. That's why the Bible tells us, for the love of money is a root of all evil. I mean, at the beginning of the whole COVID thing, you know, I really figured it out pretty early on from the scriptures that what was behind, behind it all was money. The love of money is behind all that stuff. Whatever, whatever the politicians are doing, it's because of money, you know. Uh, money comes to the, really is at the heart of it all. And, um, but it's really no different for us sometimes in the church even, you know. We have our line that we draw, if it costs us too much money, or if this is, uh, uh, you know, if, if I got to give up money, well, that's where I draw my line in serving God, you know. And many Christians are like that. Uh, you know, they, they have a hard time trusting God with their lives, even though he said, take no thought for your life. You know, we, we would rather move away from the house of God and go out into the boonies somewhere and not have a church to go to because we think we need money more than we need God's plan for our lives. That's an idol. All right. There's no mistake about it. That's an idol. And so what will happen is this, and this is something I've noticed as a pastor over the years, that when you serve money over God, 
when I say things like I just said a couple of minutes ago about putting money first, and you, you'll get mad at me. <laughs> you'll get perturbed, and you'll say things, you know. And that's what it means there. It says, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. See, because you can't, you're not going to love both messages, <laughs> all right? You're going to love one of them. And so if, if the message you love is, um, you know, money, I mean, the Lord gave us a brain, we can't, our families can't starve, so we, how do you expect us to put, uh, you know, the church and faithfulness to the house of God above making money? Well, that is your question, and that is your faith that you need to figure out there, <laughs> amen? For me, I figured that out a long time ago. In fact, if I would have, I think, some of the philosophies of most Christians I know one thing today, you wouldn't have a preacher here today. Because it didn't make sense that I'd leave my dad's business, which was very successful. You know, I had my own fuel expense account, my old 4 by 4 truck, everything I could possibly want. Never had to pay for fuel one time, and I'd just fill it up with gas anytime I wanted to. You know, I'd have all winter off and work during the summer. And uh, plus shares in the company and all these different things. And when the Lord called me to preach, I put that away. It was one of the things we had to do, that if we left the business, we had to get rid of the shares. So that's where we are, you know. So a lot of people would say at that point, well, you know, that's too much. Well, we decided it wasn't too much. We decided that we needed to do that, you know. And, and because we did that, that's why we're here. Now, if we wouldn't have made that decision back then, we wouldn't be here today. And whatever the Lord has done through us, if there was anything, <laughs> you know, uh, wouldn't have been done through us anyways. Maybe through other, some other avenue God would have chosen. But, you know, the fact of the matter is there, there is that decision. It's probably the biggest problem that we have as believers is we love money too much. We love money too much. You know, we have a hard time tithing. We have a hard time giving to the Lord. because, And really, it really comes down to, I think, for all of us, is that we just have a hard time trusting God with our lives. Because it is a little scary. It is scary giving up the paycheck and the future and all those things to go somewhere where you don't know if you're going to be taken care of by, by people anyways. And so you have to really just throw it into the hands of the Lord and let the Lord provide for you and find out ways. And he opens up doors and makes it possible. And, and he did that for us for eight years in our first ministry, you know, it was quite interesting the way that all worked. You know, I guess we didn't know better. We just kind of went along with it, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, folks, we, we have got to start looking at this. And, and money is a tool. It's a tool that all of us, that God gives us to use for his honor and glory. But when we start loving it, we no longer use it for a tool. We use it for our flesh. We use it for, to consume it upon our own lusts. And then we are like Israel in the wilderness, and we never go forward for the will of God and so forth. God will always bring us into a situation where he's going to test us on our money. He always will, you know. But there's so many that have forsaken the Lord because of the money. Well, you know, I, I've got to miss church because I've got to make this money over here instead of just trusting the Lord to provide, instead of just trusting what God will do. Folks, I've never seen someone starve that ever trusted the Lord. Never. And the Bible says, I've not yet seen the righteous 
uh, uh, forsaken or his seed begging bread, <laughs> you know. It's just not going to happen. He's going to take care of you. I'm not saying it's going to be easy all the time. And he brings you right down to the bottom dollar many times, right to the bottom of the dry well, you know. But it's in that moment that proves your faith. <laughs> what will I do in this dry situation? Will I turn back to my own lusts again? Or will I just continue to trust God in these situations? And so I think the Lord wants us to use this example of Israel and apply that to our lives today in 2024 right here. Now, I know none of you have got a, a desire to go make a golden calf. I don't think so, anyways. I don't think that's one of our problems. But our golden calf are other things. And things that take us away from the things of God. And, and because we make those decisions, we end up being critical about the things of God. We don't take the preaching well anymore. We don't listen as much as we did. We just start to despise it. And, and to despise means to look down upon. And we tell, well, you know, I understand what he's saying, but... And then we put in our big qualifier because we just can't let go. You know what I mean? And folks, I'm going to tell you, whatever faith I've ever had to live for God, I'm sure that I should have had more faith to live for God. I don't think I've gone, you know, you're saying, preacher, you're just asking us to go too far, <laughs> folks. I really don't think I'm asking us to go far enough, tell you the truth. Look at the, the widow and the two mites. God doesn't operate on what you give. God operates on what you have left. What, what did he say? She threw in two mites, and he says, she gave all that she hath. See, that's what Jesus noticed. And the Pharisees put the big bags of money in. They were putting all the big bags. He's thinking, well, that would get your attention. The bag of money didn't get Christ's attention at all. What got his attention was what was left. And that's why he saw the widow, the widow and said, you know what? She's got nothing left. She gave in more than all of these rich people. With all those big bags of money, she did more. <laughs> you know, because he measures by what you have left. <laughs> all right? That's interesting. You know, that's convicting for us. And so, um, you know, I find many times, and, I, and this isn't always so, I think there's some people that, that are rich that use their money as a tool for God's glory and they look for opportunities and they, they actually glorify God in the fact that there's an opportunity that he's leading them into where they can use what they have for God's glory. Uh, we're in this building because of people like that. Amen. You know, because people like that. That looked very little on the monetary value and looked far more upon the heavenly impact of what their dollar could do. Uh, you know, and that's what this church is built, that's what this building anyways, is built, built upon, you know, uh, part of it. And so, uh, it's just interesting. Um, idolatry is when the Lord plays second to your pursuit of money. If you ever find that the Lord is second, now you know I'm guilty of idolatry. The Lord is not the first. I'm not sacrificing for the Lord. I just want to quickly check if that's the mic or not. I just don't have a clue what that is. 
Matthew 6.31 says, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. That's an interesting principle right there. Turn off the mic in total. It's probably distracting more than anything. You can hear my voice okay without the mic? All right. Okay. And so notice what he says. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. When he's talking about the Gentiles, he's not just talking about those that aren't the Jews. Because he's talking really to the church and the Jews. What he's talking about when he says Gentiles are idol worshipers. He said this is what those that serve false gods do. They are the ones that are so concerned about what they eat and drink and what they you know, wear and all these things. He says, the Gentiles seek after those things. Then he says, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Now that's the first thing we had to get through our minds is that the Lord knows, <laughs> you know. I mean, we, we, we kind of feel like God's not there. He's not there to take care of us anymore. He's not listening to me. He doesn't care. And so i got to somehow take the bull by the horns and make this happen. But you know, the Bible tells us very clearly, the first thing we need to understand is, the Lord knows every need that you have. Every need that you have. That's something you've got to nail down. He knows my needs, and he cares about it. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. But then it goes on to say, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I always say to people, I say there's two lists that you need to write in your life. The one list is the, the things that God says, these are the things you need to do. These are the things that I'm asking you to follow. And that becomes your focus. The other list is simply those things that you have need of and you're, you're, you, don't, you don't understand how it's going to happen. That's your prayer list. That you just give to God. <laughs> but what we do is we focus our attention on this list and we try to make these things happen. And we forsake this list. That's what we do. We don't follow God the way we ought to and we start trying to make things happen so I can have the food the, all these things, and I, and I manipulate circumstances. I try to get the best job, and if the best job takes me away from the house of God, well, you know, we, we can't starve now. That's that mindset. <laughs> Every need that I have. And I know that if I just simply do what the Lord's asked me to do, he will always take care of my needs. That's this mindset. <laughs> this mindset will take you away from the things of God. This mindset will keep you glued to the things of God. This mindset requires faith <laughs> because he's going to take you down a road where you don't know how the bills are going to get paid. You don't know how all these things are going to work itself out. But he says, I, I know what you have need of. So you're trusting him. But you know what we do? We drift over to this side again, and instead of just putting this in the hands of the Lord and praying about it, you know what we do? 
we chase after this side. And we forsake everything on that side. You know, and that's why he said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, you may not get that 4 by 4 truck and all those nice things that you desire, but you know what you will get? You'll get food. You'll get a place to live in. You'll get clothes to wear. It may not be the latest fashion wear, you know, whatever that is. I don't know. But, you know, he will take care of you. He's going to take care of you. Is that enough for us today? Is that enough for the God's people? Well, if it isn't, then what's going to happen is we're going to become idolaters. We're going to start loving our money, and that's when the preacher, we're all oh, that preacher, and we won't, we won't actually talk about the fact that we were talking about money. There'll be some other thing you'll get mad about because <laughs> you, know, you have an offense, and that offense will just grab onto anything it can to make an excuse why I don't have to go there because really this is where my heart is, looking for these things, you know. Be very careful. We have the warning. So mammon is a big problem. The Bible talks about our bellies. Our bellies. Now I know some of us have a more prominent belly than others. Amen. I lost some of my belly during my surgery and stuff this last, <laughs> this last uh, summer. But you know, I still have some left. Amen. But our bellies. But that's not the belly it's really talking about. It's talking about that part of you that connects with this world. That's your belly. Your spirit is a part of you that connects with God. So there's spiritual things and then there's belly things. <laughs> All right. Now we know that we have, to, we have to somehow associate with the world and we're in the midst of the world. We've got to operate within the world. Uh, I'll just give you this passage here in Romans 16, 17. It says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and, co- and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have heard and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by goods, good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. And so it talks about avoiding these people that put their bellies first. And so, like I said, we all have a belly. We all have a part of us that connects with this world and that people see us demonstrating towards them as far as what, what our desires are in this world. But some people, they make their service to their belly. They say, I want to make sure that I'm feeding all the desires that I have, all my appetites. I, I want to make sure I'm taken care of. And that's why fasting is not something most people that love their bellies will do, <laughs> you know, because that's taking away what my belly wants, you know. And so, and by the way, that's one of the reasons why fasting is so effective because what you're doing is you're saying, Lord, I'm here to put my spirit first and I'm going to sacrifice my belly today. To God, that's a big deal because our bellies end up being our gods, like this, this passage says. And so there are those that instead of submitting to clear doctrines of scripture will find divisive arguments on issues that reveal who they serve. They look for respect and ways to fulfill themselves rather than glory, glorify, and serve Christ. And so these are those that are always looking for the position in the church. That's a belly thing. I want to be seen. That's a belly thing. I want a pat on the back. That's a belly thing. <laughs> you know, 
Uh, you know, we wouldn't do anything unless someone sees us do it. I don't want to sacrifice anything unless somebody knows that I'm sacrificing it. You know, uh, you know, why would I ever want to do something where somebody wouldn't want to, wouldn't know about it? You know, because we're so detached from the Spirit, we're so detached from really living a life underneath God and and His approval that it doesn't even matter to us anymore. It's all about what other people see in us and what we want from them. And that's why these are those that uh, they cause divisions and they serve not our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. That means they come up to you and they, they sound so good and they win you over to their position and they really want you to say, oh, you're smart and you're so spiritual. And, you know, <laughs> there are people like that that go to churches. They, they want people to say, oh, you're a spiritual person. Folks, you're not so great. You're really not. You're, you're, you're a sinner. Amen? You're a sinner that has to depend upon God every minute of every day. And you know what? You're only as spiritual as the next decision you make today. So this whole thing about pretending to be something by the way you talk, you know, it's always your next decision <laughs> that will prove what you are in that moment. So there's no such thing as a guaranteed spiritual uh, path that you're on. That is, that is dependent upon a moment-by-moment surrender to the things of God. And so you can be uh, like a, just someone that, oh boy, they're just so spiritual. They, they just follow the Lord. You can go from that to the bottom in one decision. In one decision. So never think, that uh, you deserve that pat on the back. Because <laughs> really we don't. Now if someone gives it to you. Now that feels good. Uh, I don't know about you. If somebody gives you a compliment. You, maybe you preach the message. Or you taught something. Or you clean something up. Or you build. I've been, I, I give a lot of compliments to the guys that have been helping this building. Amen. And doing what you know, the Lord has told them to do. And, and that's great. And with that compliment. What you ought to do is take it and say thank you. But then don't. Put it in your belly. Don't put it in your belly. You shift it to your spirit. Amen? See, some people take the compliment and they'll put it in their belly. They say, yeah, I know. I'm, I say, yeah, I told you I'm pretty good. You know, that's belly. So now you're just lifting up yourself. That's not what you do with compliments. You take the compliment and you shift it up towards heaven through your spirit. Amen? And you make that verbal. You say, well, thank you very much and praise the Lord that he even allows me to do this, that he's given me the ability to build these walls and paint this wall or whatever, you know, that's justice of the Lord. And because, you know, he could take away my legs, he could take away my arms. Just the fact that I can do anything is, is his grace and mercy. Amen. So there's nothing wrong with, with taking a compliment. Don't ever reject it and say, oh, no, 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 you take it, but do the right thing with it. Don't, don't put it in your belly. <laughs> Bring it up to the Lord. Just shift it over. Just say, thank you very much. The, the person is wanting to honor you. And the Bible does talk about giving honor to those that are due. Amen? And so you can give honor to those. But you know what? Anybody that's worthy of honor, they're not going to put that honor in their belly. They're going to take that honor and they're going to direct it up to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they'll really mean it. 
not just to look spiritual, <laughs> because that's putting it in the belly, <laughs> amen? It's amazing, because we're very good at that. We can put on the, the really spiritual face, and even though we're trying to be humble, I'm just trying to be humble here, if you got to tell people that, then chances are you're not. I mean, it's a given. You ought to be humble because you're not so great, amen? Including this preacher. When we stand before the Lord or we come before our God, we come before him as really nothing. All of us. That's humility. And the Bible says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. By the way, it doesn't tell me to humble myself to you. You don't find that in scripture. That's why a lot of people, even where I come from in my, um, the religion, a lot of them put a big emphasis on making themselves look humble. So their buildings, their cars, everything they do is about making it look, oh, you know, I don't, I don't get the nice stuff because I'm humble, you know. Folks, there's nothing wrong with getting a nice car. There's nothing wrong with making your house look nice. You're not supposed to humble yourself before men. That's not what it's about. That's just belly. See, you're, you're wanting them to think you're spiritual. And that's why you're doing that, because God already knows. I mean, why are you doing this? You're doing it for men. You're doing it for the applause of men. Not for God's grace, not for God's good grace on your life, because he knows your heart, and you know that he knows it, and if you know that he knows it, and you know who you are, you know there's no way you're going to fool God. Amen? And so you just simply live your life, and if God gives you something, and, and it's a nice, he gives you a nice vehicle, keep it clean, make it look nice. And you'll have, oh, that, he's got a new vehicle. He must, not, he must be a worldly Christian. <laughs> no, that's just someone that's jealous. <laughs> Amen. I would say, hey, you just follow God, and maybe he'll bless you with a nice Chevy half-ton too. <laughs> Amen. Who drives Chevy here? One. Two, three. I, I knew I liked you. Amen. <laughs> but some of you guys are Dodge guys. That's okay too. I don't, I don't mind the Dodges. All right. Amen. Anyways, we'll move on. <laughs> and so the belly. And that's why in John 7, verse 38, it says, He that believeth on me, as a scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So that's interesting. So all we know is this, we do have a belly, and you can either serve your belly by bringing things in the world into it, or you can serve God and allow him to flow down out of it. Now, what does that do? Well, how does that affect people? Well, what, what the world sees is, is that you ultimately, your desires are for the things of the Lord. And that's why when you make those decisions, like, I'm not going to give up money for the things of God. I'm not going to give up, you know, the kingdom of righteousness for all these things that shall be added. See, that's allowing him to... But you still will not compromise what God has given you in the scripture. See, he didn't say, if you seek after me, I'll always make sure you got a full bank account. That's not what he promised. In fact, many times when we were in Kenora, especially for the first eight years, we had hardly anything. We had one credit card that went up to a $1,000 limit, and we were just always bringing it up and down. <laughs> you know, To us, that was big debt.
you know? Well, now we're kind of operating on a different level these days. But you know something? Um, as I look back, the Lord never left us hanging. In fact, when we left that place, we had far more than when we got there. It's just amazing. And it's not like I invested anything over there to create more. It's just what God had did, done and, and what, how he had led us actually made us leave there with more than what we came with. Wow. But so many times we couldn't do what we wanted to do. So many times we couldn't take that drive. You know, and we would have to pray for it. And they did. And the Lord, I remember one time Madeline. home and back. And so she's prayed. So I knew that God answered the And we did because it was an answer to her prayers. Amen. Now, where else can you have that if, if your bank account's always full? How could you ever know that about God? How could you ever see God answer like that? Amen? Well, you say, I don't know, preacher, because I'm just full of debt and things never get better. Well, then you need to ask yourself, what is wrong in my heart? What's going on in here? Is there something I'm holding on to and the Lord can't bless me the way that he wants to bless me? Because he'll take care of you. Amen? But if you've got sin in your life, you've got an idol in your life, how, I mean, look at what God did with the idol worshipers with Israel. <laughs> you know, he didn't bless them that day. <laughs> that was pretty much a curse. <laughs> you know, he called the Levites. Every man take his sword. Wow. Now we need to understand that we need to be blessable. <laughs> Amen? And that's the way we've got to live our lives. Anyways, the next point I want to just give you here is they rose up to play. And I thought about this. I've read that so many times. I said, Lord, I'd really like to know what this means. Rose up to play. What's so bad about that? I mean, our kids rise up to play all the time. Sometimes we rise up to play. We get up and we go do play volleyball or whatever, you know. What is it referring to? The Hebrew word used here means to laugh, to sport, to jest, to mock, to insult. And then to engage in dances accompanied with music in honor of an idol. This was often practiced as the worship of idols was celebrated with songs and dances. This is particularly affirmed of this instance of idol worship. And this was common among ancient idolaters. So this is something that happened all the time with idol worship. They would rise up to play, which means they would dance, they would jest, they would mock. Uh, that's the way they would worship these idols. All that the word to play here necessarily implies is that a choral songs or dances accompanied with revelry in honor of the idol. There can be a frivolous way that we worship if we're not careful. And I think we see that today. I think we see that today. Folks, you got to keep your kids away from this new Christian worship that's out there. 
And I appreciate those. I've had people come to this church and say, hey, we're just getting away from a church that was doing that kind of worship. And the world was involved with that. Well, that's, they were, they're rising up to play, you know. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. 1 Timothy 3.15 But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So contrary to popular opinion, there is a way that Christians should behave in the house of God. Now, I don't think that just means in the building of God. Like we're supposed to behave here, and then once we walk out the doors, it doesn't matter. Because I think you're in the house of God all the time as a believer. <laughs> you're, you're a part of that. You're, you're a piece of that brick that's holding up that temple. Amen? The Bible says in 1 Timothy 4.1, Is my mic on again or not? Still off? Okay. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And so I believe we're living in this day. I remember I did a study on the charismatic movement back when I was teaching college, and I did a couple of courses on cults. And I wanted to, I wanted to understand where it came from, so I went to the beginning of the Bible, and I just worked my way through it because I wanted to see what, what was behind all this stuff, you know, what was behind uh, the, these false teachings and so forth. And it brought me up to the charismatic movement, which happened in the early 1900s or late 1800s. And really it branched off from the Methodists. And the Methodists would have great tent meetings and great revivals. You heard of George Whitfield and guys like that. And great things happen. But, it, but an interesting thing out of that, and I think it's because perhaps that the local church was not emphasized properly, where the boundaries of doctrine weren't protected within the local bodies. See, a, a tent meeting isn't the church. <laughs> you know, so you can't just go your whole life going to tent meetings and think everything is going to turn out okay. But nothing wrong with going a tent to, to a tent meeting and people have been saved there and you can be inspired there and, and so forth, but that's not your church. And I think perhaps that's what was going on here. You know, some of the people involved with that, even Charles Finley, Charles Finney, and he, had, he wrote books. I mean, some fantastic things happened through some of these guys, but they started to talk about this error that um, that was rising up within Methodism, and that is this uh, sinless perfection. And so they believe that somehow you could get to this point where you no longer had any more desire to sin. And so you reach this sinless perfection stage. Now that's what the Salvation Army believed, with William Booth as its, its leader. So now it's no longer like that. Now it's more of a, you know, they sell or they give away, you know, whatever. <laughs> Um, not that they didn't do some good things, but the fact of the matter is they had this error doctrine. Uh, Harry Ironside, you ever heard of him? He was involved in that kind of movement. He, it actually drove him to a mental problem. He actually went to an asylum because he, he, was, he didn't know how it is that he couldn't reach the same position that a lot of these other people say they have attained until he finally came to the truth there through a conversation with an elderly lady that it's not scriptural. <laughs> it's not scriptural. I mean, you'll always be battling the flesh, and that's why we have chapters like 1 Corinthians chapter 10. But it's interesting because through that error of sinless perfection, 
So what they say is there's your born again experience, and then there's another experience where you reach this position of sinless perfection. Now what began to happen over the next decades, they used to, now they call that the baptism of the Spirit. And Asa Mahan was the first one to use that in the book that he wrote. He called it the baptism of the Spirit. And it didn't take long, and this movement started to begin talking about this baptism of the Spirit. And that's why when I teach to you folks about the baptism of the Spirit, I teach you that it's a one-time event that took place on Pentecost some 2,000 years ago. <laughs> it's not something that takes place because you get this hit by God and you're, you, know, you get the sinner's perfection. So what they began to do is change that, not to sinner's perfection because they realized I'm not perfect, <laughs> but I still want to have the experience. They called it the second blessing. And from there, that second blessing just continued to keep rolling into speaking in tongues, and the Pentecostal movement all rolled out of that particular doctrine, which started with the Methodists in the 1800s. So a little bit of error leads to big error, you know, and that's what's happened with the charismatic movement today. Now, there's much more there I could share with you about that, but I don't know where I was going here. <laughs> oh, yeah, in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. And that's, that's what it's talking about. You know, you're talking over the period of over 100 years this took place. Now, initially, the first error was the mid-1800s, and then it began to evolve until the beginning of the 1900s. And now you look at the end of the 1900s, and, and you had that last movement with John Wimber and, the, and the, the rock music coming into the churches. That's all of the same movement. John Wimber came from the same the same wave of charismatic, you see. And that's where they began to put the music in the church. And so some of these dead churches that are out there, like I had growing up, uh, the Mennonite churches, there were no longer, there's no fire behind the pulpit. They began to catch on to these things. And that's how this, this uh, charismatic movement began to in, uh, infiltrate the evangelical churches. And now today, all the evangelical churches are that. It's been totally infiltrated. It's to such a point where people look at us and say, what's wrong with you? It used to be in the late 90s, we looked at them and what's wrong with you? That's how normalized it's become. You see. And so now what they're doing is, they're having rock concerts in churches with, with smoke, with colored lights, flashing lights, strobe lights. I was into all those things when I was in a rock band. I used to love that stuff. But that wasn't for the church. God's not interested in seeing your lights flashing. He's interested in you become a light. And not flashing. Constant. <laughs> Amen. And that's what's happened. That, you know, and all that is because of a little error. A little error that keeps on rolling and growing. And then it gets accepted. And the Bible says that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Can I tell you something? That if every error you believe, there's a devil behind it. That's why we should hate it with a passion. That's why God says we should hate every false way. Because behind every false doctrine, there's a demon. <laughs> there's a demon pushing that doctrine. So no matter what little philosophy you think that you... Folks, there's some people that come in here, they're the only ones that believe it, and they think you're all wrong. Remember this, 
You'll give account for that. And be careful because every false doctrine has a demonic source. So he's not going to be happy with just you having that one little problem. He's going to branch off. He's going to bring rebellion in your heart. And he's going to turn you against churches. And, and that's why many times I deal with people that have, they've just turned against all churches because they all don't believe what I believe and I don't uh, fit in anywhere. Well, whose fault is that? <laughs> you think God made you just so you could be by yourself and you know there's no church for you? Well, the Bible says the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. That means today there is a church, and you're here, and you're, you're a part of it, and you want to be taught and so forth. But there's people out there that would walk right by and say, oh, no, that's not for me because it doesn't fit what I want. That's belly stuff again. Amen? The church must be centered on doctrine and teaching of sound doctrine. Israel chose a God and then chose, rose to play. I believe that we can laugh, and we do laugh here. I believe we can have fun. We've had fun here as well. But we must realize that our behavior must reflect being in the house of God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And, you know, that's why even with the children, I'm starting to catch them here. And, no, don't come on the platform. Like, they need to learn that there's a place that they should not go and maybe one day they'll say, hey, one day maybe I can go on the platform. Sure, you go and get some teaching under you. You can stand behind and preach too. <laughs> or you'd be a good man of God and we'll ask you to come up and pray. Amen. Amen. But it not, not be a play place. Not rose up and play. Amen. And the sanctuary ought to be a place of, of sanctity and peace. And that's why now, since we have that, <laughs> you know, we can finally play, th play that out here. And we're going to. There's a lot of concrete out there you can run down. <laughs> Amen. Cheap gimmicks to get people into church. Sometimes they hear what churches do, and I think, my goodness, man. Well, we've got to use the flesh to get them in because they're fleshly. That's the same philosophy that the churches used when they used rock music to get the young people in the church. Appealing to the flesh to tantalize new young people. You got to remember that the current worship culture was brought into churches to keep young people in church. That's where it all began. I don't know if you were there. I was there. <laughs> I was just getting my training in Bible college during the time where all this came to fruition in the late 90s. Where all these churches that I grew up in in my hometown that were just simply hymns and they had a preacher. The thing is they let the preaching die. So they thought to bring life, instead of bringing fire back behind the pulpit, they'd bring fire into the drum set. <laughs> and I remember talking to people at doors when I knocked on doors during that time, because we were soul winning all the time. And I talked to some of these leaders, and they were all distraught about their young people leaving. And so we're going to bring in this music. And I, and I would warn them. I didn't care. I said, you're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong. You shouldn't do it. I could see it was wrong back then. It's, it's, it equates with the new cart that they built for the Ark of the Covenant when they brought it from the Philistines. A new cart. And even David had forgotten there was a way to carry the Ark. 
Because when he got the cart, he said, well, he caught this far on the cart, so we'll just continue taking the cart. Until, what's his name? Was it Yuza? What was the guy's name? And, and he tried to steady the ark, and the Lord killed him because he touched the ark. And David got all disgruntled about that. Lord, why'd you do that? Here we're all excited about you. We're excited about what you're going to do. And we're excited about your presence. Isn't that amazing? You think it would just be enough that he'd be excited about... that He'd be, he'd be happy with the fact that you're excited about the presence of God coming to Jerusalem? God said, no, that's not enough. He says, when I told you to carry that ark on the shoulders of six uh, priests, or four priests, I forget what it was, with the poles, I meant that. And so they left the ark there for a while, and I think it was Obadem's house, I forget his name as well, it's hard to come back. And while it was there, David went back to Jerusalem, and he got word back, hey, that guy's house, he's being blessed over and over. And David says, man, we need to get God here. So I guess then maybe start reading the Bible. <laughs> it's not enough just to be excited about the presence of God. There's a way to behave around the presence of God. The methods that we use are important around the presence of God. Oh, it doesn't matter. New cart. The churches have built a new cart. And I'm not interested in it. And I've had people email me. I've had people come in the church. I had them get mad at me. I've had them leave. <laughs> I'm not interested in your new cart. I've had people send me music. God, use this in my life. How can you say this is wrong? God, use this music to speak to my heart and get me right with God. Casting crowns. Casting crowns. If they do any research, they'd realize that casting crowns is very ecumenical. They, they'd tie together with Roman Catholic doctrine, all kinds of other doctrine, mysticism. But the Lord used it. It's a new cart. We just get the back to the old pole on the shoulder. Carrying that ark. Want the presence of God? There's a way to get it. Amen. There's a way to get it. And it's sad what's going on today. All I know is as long as I'm here, that's not happening in this church. I'm not going to let it happen. No, sir. And by the way, it's not a guitar. It doesn't make us a new cart. David built all kinds of stringed instruments. In fact, that's, he can take credit for the guitar and the violin and all these different things. It's the music. It's the music. Now, we're not going to use electric guitars. We're not going to use electric basses. We're not going to use any of that kind of stuff. No drum kits. You know? It's not going to happen here. That's a new cart. It's not right. Instead of delivering passionate truth, they compromise with worldly styles of music. This is now the norm in churches. The pulpits have been moved. And the drum kits take their place. I remember an independent Baptist church, and that one church I told you about in Kenora, that, that old fellow that was in our church was a deacon that stood with his pastor. And um, 
because they booted up the pastor. He left the church as well. That church now was on a different slide. Now, we rented that church for a funeral, and I had, to, I had to go into that church and try to find where the pulpit was. Finally, in a storage room and with a whole bunch of junk way in the back, I found the pulpit. And I dragged it out of there, and I dusted it off and cleaned it, and I put it back where it should have been, yeah. right in the middle. And they had a drum kit there, and we just took a cloth, and we just covered that stupid thing. <laughs> Nobody saw that. I, I always say, I, I bet you that building just kind of went, whew, it's so good. Yes. So good to get the pulpit back. Amen. Yeah. But that's what they need. You know, it's not that difficult. You just have to love the Word of God. And you've got to believe it and trust it. Then you can come up here and preach it with passion the same way I can. You could do that too. Amen. God can use you. But I, I just, it just marvels, you know, how that we'll take, we'll build a new cart because we can find one man that has the passion in their heart to bring forth the word of God that a young person will get fire in their heart while the preaching's going on. I know what the young people left. There's no fire. And the moment there's no fire in this church, you'll leave too. Because we'll be dead. Amen? So let's keep the fire going. <laughs> and we're not going to build a new cart of drums just so we can stay excited and everybody have a great time here. We've got to make this the emphasis, the Word of God. So he says, be, be warned of idolatry, the aspect of the belly, money. Got to be careful about that. Got to be careful of this rise up to play mentality. <laughs> Amen? That's not what God wants for us. He wants to behave ourselves in the house of God. There's a reason why we do what we do, and we're going to.